Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, uh, and I'm going to walk you through the November edition of our Natural Wine Club. Uh, today in our quasi-studio, we have a very special guest. Uh, so, Abby, I'll get you to uh, introduce yourself and let us know where you're from and why you're here. <laughs> Hi, my name's um, Abigail. I'm the wine section lead at Kensington Wine Market. Um, and we've been bringing a lot of juice import stuff in since probably day one of the the business and a huge fan of natural wine started out kind of with a focus in organic and biodynamic wines and very excited to be here today to try these wines out totally uh cool so we're gonna walk you through the three wines that we have this month um this month we have uh sort of two whites one that's you know, somewhere sort of between white and orange wine, uh, and then one red. And so we'll start off with Candeli, which is particularly special to me because I actually worked at this winery. Um, so back in, I don't even know now, 2018, I guess? Uh, 2018? No, 2000. Yes, 2018. I don't even know anymore. Uh, I went down to New Zealand uh, to work at Kindeli. Um, their winery is located in Nelson, which is on the north tip of the South Island. Uh, and there I worked with Alex Craighead, the winemaker, um, and he taught me a lot of things about making natural wine. I had only ever uh, previously worked at conventional wineries. Uh, and so I had done things like you know, acidifying and chaptalizing and adding yeast and all those really great things that other wineries do that don't happen in the natural wine world. And so basically through Alex, I figured out how he was able to avoid doing those things and all these different tips and tricks that he had for um, rectifying problems, because that's the thing is problems are still going to happen, whether you're making conventional wine or natural wine. It's just that the way that natural winemakers deal with problems is not through adding things, uh, but it's through um, basically easing the wine sort of through its its life cycle, uh, whether that be providing it with a little bit more oxygen or whether that be moving it to a tank that's maybe better insulated or um, blending two different wines together where one wine is having trouble fermenting but the other wine is fermenting really well. Uh, so it's all these different techniques where you, you still end up with a wine that's really balanced um, but you're, you're using natural techniques. Um, so the wine that we have today is the Blanco. This is made uh, from uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and a little bit of Pinot Gris. Um, about 20% of it was fermented on skins. Uh, so the way that we would make a red wine, but using white grapes, and we often call this style orange wine. And that makes up 20% of the blend. And then the rest was done like uh, conventional white wine. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'd say as wine professionals, we don't really drink that much wine from New Zealand. No, I was actually, um, we're trying to expand the New Zealand section at work and going through the portfolio, it's very much Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, whenever the Kindeli wines come back on the market for us, we're pretty excited because it gives us a little bit more variety to offer to customers because... Yeah, mm -hmm. to have a whole section of just Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir isn't necessarily always the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, but a huge fan of New Zealand wines. Very excited to try this wine this evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is showing super well. Um, I know Kindeli wines are really interesting in the sense that they have a lot of vintage variation, meaning that from year to year, they taste drastically different, even though they may have the same label and be called the same wine and be made from the same grapes. Um, I remember two years ago, Alex lost basically 100% of his Chardonnay. 
uh, to uh, gray rot. Um, and so he basically just didn't use it in this wine. So this wine ended up being something like 70 or 80% Sauvignon Blanc versus this year it's about 60% Chardonnay. Uh, wow. So, or 50% Chardonnay and then 40% Sauvignon Blanc and then 10% Pinot Gris, give or take, I guess, a little bit on the blend. Um, but also, in some years, this wine sees a little more skin contact or a little less skin contact. The first vintage we brought in had about 50% skin contact versus now it's only 20%. So again, the winemaking has changed, but also the vintage variation. So this is coming from a year that was super hot and really dry. Um, they basically had no rain the entire year. Uh, normally wow. they have something like, um, I can't remember what it was. It was, it was something like 200, uh, mils of rain, uh, over the course of the growing season. And this year they got two. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was super dry. And what tends to happen with, um, with wines made in a season that dry is that they become reductive. So, uh, because there's no water in the soil, it's harder for the grapevines to actually get nitrogen. And because the grapes don't contain a lot of nitrogen, yeast really need nitrogen in order to ferment. So the yeast end up stressed out and then they create what we call like volatile sulfur compounds, which literally are just compounds that smell like sulfur. Uh, and so this wine, when we first got it, had like a lot of those volatile sulfur compounds, a reduction. Uh, and now it's really come into its own. Like it's like, mm -hmm. it's a little bit reductive, but it's, it's, I don't know, mostly just fruity and mineral. Yeah, it's a little um, bit reductive on the nose, but then when you drink, like try the wine, it's so expressive. And um, I think it has like that really nice bright acidity um, that I really like that um, Kindeli seems to have. And it's got a little bit of tannin from like the touch of skin contact. Mm -hmm. And I think just together, that just makes a really nicely balanced wine. And I'm really liking the Chardonnay in it this year. Yeah. Like it's showing a little bit of a different approach and mm -hmm. I kind of like the vintage variation mm -hmm. with these wines. So yeah, this one's pretty amazing this year. I really, yeah. really enjoy it. Yeah, Alex is like, this is how he wants this wine to be. <laughs> like he wants to make it with this much Chardonnay. The, oh, amazing. The, the vintage that didn't have a lot of Chardonnay was like an, an accident. Like it was an unfortunate circumstance <laughs> versus like, and then he had to make wine, obviously. So it just ended up being more Sauvignon Blanc dominant versus this is, I think, more the way that he wants this wine to present. Um, I think they did have challenges with the fermentation. So you would obviously like the wine to be easier to make. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, I, you know, my understanding is that this is more the style that he'd want to make anyways. Um, the interesting thing about this wine, too, is that the packaging has changed a little bit this year. Yeah, I noticed. I was going <laughs> to ask you. <laughs> uh, I don't know the story behind this. I'll have to ask Alex at some point. Um, but yeah, last year it was not in a clear bottle. This wine has never been in a clear bottle until this year. Uh, and then the last two vintages have been under um, Noma corks, so like fake corks made from sugarcane. Um, but the year before that, so like three vintages ago, I guess, or four vintages ago, it was under crown cap. So now it's back under crown cap. I don't know the reason. Maybe he just wanted to keep it super fresh and yeah. like, you know, really protect the wine. But uh, yeah, I like it in the clear bottle. I think I it, like like, it too. presents yeah. with the label really well. Like the colors go really nicely together. And mm -hmm. that's one thing I love about Candeli is how um, eccentric their labels can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that just shows it shows it really really well so, yeah 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 so like bad. alex's wife um she is from um i want to say that she's either from chile or argentina um it's i want to say that she's from chile i'm pretty sure 
Um, and so her like best friend from high school, I think, does these labels for oh, wow. them, um, which is really awesome. Like absolutely amazing artist, and and I think these labels have become like pretty iconic in the natural wine world, if mm-hmm. not the wine world in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the packaging is just like so whimsical, but yeah, he's he's obsessed with pretty much everything Spanish. He actually works in Spain. Uh, oh, wow. Usually quite a bit um, over the course of the year. He does a lot of consulting work, um, like basically everywhere in Spain. He told me crazy stories about uh, basically he like flies into like Barcelona or something like that. They have a hired car for him. And then he like drives around from winery to winery being like, hey, you should like blend this with this. Or like, hey, you don't need to add yeast to that. That's going to ferment just fine all on its own. Or hey, oh, like wow. pump this over here, or, like whatever. And he basically like just like drinks and have these like ex- like these like crazy spanish style lunches and then wow. gets back in the car and like sleeps in the car from appointment to appointment being like doing consulting work i'm sure you didn't do that this year because of uh mm-hmm. you know the whole lockdown situation but uh yeah as far as i know uh that was something that he was doing before and then he also consults in japan uh and wow. makes uh makes a bunch of wine in japan which is super cool so a dream job in his yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, he's super obsessed with all things Spanish. So uh, he like speaks Spanish fairly well, like enough so that he can mm. he can go work there. But that's why there's the labels that are or the animals that are on the labels and why his wines are called uh, what they're called. So oh. his like other wines um, being called like uh, like Verano and Invierno and uh, uh, Primavera. Those are all like the seasons, but oh. in Spanish. Um, so yeah, that's why he chose these animals is because they're like Spanish animals. Oh, lovely. I so, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weird sort of, you know, intercontinental sort of blending of, of a bunch of different things, but is uh, oh, truly New Zealand inside. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. And I have to say like the, we've just had the wine in the glass for a couple moments and it's already like it, the nose is just like more like aromatic at this mm-hmm. point in time. Like it's, it's really opened up. So mm-hmm. Yeah, really enjoyable wine. Yeah, it's kind of on two ends of the spectrum. Like, it's got this really fun tropical characteristic where it's um, almost like pineapple, guava, like mango-y. And then it has, like, the exact opposite end of the spectrum where it's, like, very lime leaf Mm -hmm. and kind of rocky and um, things more in that sort of vein. Um, Yeah, definitely, like, pretty mineral right now, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he uses a variety of different soil types, but mostly um, uh, a type of clay called mudari clay, which is like a little bit better draining than regular clay. So they're able to get away with what is normally a fairly wet place <laughs> to grow grapes. Uh, they still get enough drainage that they can make like these really nice textured wines at low alcohol levels um, versus the other soil type in this region, which is called uh, mudari gl- gravels. Um, those make wines that are very linear and very tight. And so he's like, if I'm harvesting at like 12% alcohol, I need like some weight. So he usually likes to use grapes grown on clay. Um, but I think there's some some grapes from gravel in here as well to oh, sort of amazing. balance things out. But, yeah, that's a, it's a great vintage. It's totally really expressive and yeah, easy to it. drink as well, which totally. is always great. All right, for you the next one here. So next up, this is like sort of a classic wine in our portfolio now. Um, you know, the Candeli is really fun because it's so interesting and a little weird and, you know, all those sort of things. And we only get the Candeli wines once a year and then they're gone. Um, and it's the same case with this in the sense that we only get them once a year and then they're gone. Um, although we literally just got an email 
uh, from Andrew, the guy who makes this, saying that he might have a little bit more of this Chardonnay for us, which would oh, be cool. very exciting. We've never gotten two shipments from him before, um, but that would be really ideal. Um, but this is definitely more on the classic side of things. Like if, if you pour this for literally any wine person in the entire world, they'll be like, yes, this is a great example of what uh, Chardonnay from the Macon is supposed to be. So this is the Macon Village uh, from Grappin. Um, this project uh, is uh, owned and operated by uh, an expat from Australia who moved to Burgundy uh, in France to make wine, basically. Um, he's a hilarious character. He's like, I don't know, six and a half foot tall, like really like broad shouldered guy, uh, you know, working in this cellar under the streets of Bone uh, in Burgundy. You know, I think the cellar ceiling is like only like five and a half feet tall. Wow. So he's like hunched over, oh, you know, God. just working on these barrels and stuff. And uh, Mark and I got a chance to go visit him last year, which was really cool. Um, but he's making just like spectacular renditions of, of uh, Burgundian wines, um, but with minimal intervention. So everything's wild fermented, um, you know, not messing around with the acidity, not messing around with any of those sort of things. Like he's just making very classic versions of wines. Um, the Macon, for those of you who don't know, is, um, depending on if you include Beaujolais or not, it's sort of the central part of, of Burgundy. Uh, it's south of all the most famous vineyards. Uh, and because it's a little bit further south, it's a little bit warmer. So it tends to make wines that are a little bit richer, softer, uh, maybe less etched than the wines from, from further north. Um, but the Macon has kind of become uh, the perfect place to get really good value. You're still drinking Burgundy, but you're drinking it for half the price or a tenth of the price mm -hmm. uh, of a lot of the rest of Burgundy. Yeah, I'm normally I'm like I'm a huge fan of this wine and a huge fan of Macon because I find, you know, a lot of those people that come into Kensington Wine Market and they're like, I hate Chardonnay. Don't you dare serve me one. And you know, pre-COVID times when you could give samples out, you'd sample mm. them with something like Macon or something similar. And they're like, oh, like, this is really nice. Like, what is this? And it's like, yeah, Chardonnay doesn't have to be super overly buttery, creamy style. It totally. can be fresh and vibrant. And this is a great example. I, um, I'm a huge fan of the Graffin wines as well. And um, yeah, this one's got like a little bit of weight, but I like kind mm -hmm. of the cleanness of this wine. Totally. Um, and the nose has like that really nice, it has a, like a little bit of a lemon cream note that I'm picking up on. Totally. And yeah, this is, I would say, I just want to have like a peasant cheese board with me right now to kind of... I always want to have a peasant cheese yeah, board with me, it's but hard yeah, to. even more so right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this would be the perfect wine to sip with, with any cheese, mm -hmm. to be honest. But um, yeah, stunning, stunning wine. Yeah, I definitely think like on on the creamier side of things would be like super decadent, like mm -hmm. uh, like the Cremo de Bourgogne or something oh, like that yes. would be like just mm. so decadent because it's like kind of rich plus rich, but then mm. they're both still like sneaky fresh. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like those creamy cheeses have like sneaky acidity to them sometimes. Yes. And I feel like you need like acidity in the wine to sort of, you know, help balance that out as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, some like technical information on this uh, on this wine. Um, so there's a handful of really famous towns in, in the Macon, um, one of them being Puy-Fuissé, which is probably the most famous in the Macon, um, and then one of the other ones being uh, Uchizy, 
um, which is where I think a lot of the best value wines come from. Uh, they're basically adjacent to one another, but this little town of Aze is like directly between the two of them. And so it offers like even better value. Um, these vines are not like particularly old. They're, you know, 30 plus years old, but they're not, you know, some of the vines in this region are, you know, well over a hundred years old. Um, so they're a little bit younger, but they're in that sort of time frame where they're producing very, um, I don't know, very even wines, very wines that have like a little bit of everything. They're not too concentrated. They're not too light. They, they're kind of, I don't know, Goldilocks sort of like situation um, where, they're, where they're just sort of perfect. Um, the, the soils in this region are like the classic soils of, um, of Burgundy, uh, which is mostly limestone, which helps preserve acidity. And then clay, which again, like we were talking about with the last wine, usually adds texture to the wine. Um, wines that are exclusively grown on clay can feel a little bit heavy, um, depending on, you know, the climate and the grape that you're using, but limestone really adds like, again, all that freshness. Yeah. And this wine has definitely got some freshness to it, which I really enjoy, but it still has like that, a little bit of weight to it. So this is something that I would also, you know, drink year round in Calgary because it has like enough weight when it is mm -hmm. what it was, you know, yesterday where it was minus 20. <laughs> You could still drink this, but mm -hmm. then you could also drink it on a day like today or like in yeah. the couple of days when it's supposed to be plus 10. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a very versatile wine mm -hmm. and um, for, like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but the price point is actually quite approachable on this for natural yeah. wine as well. Oh yeah. yeah, definitely. Like I think this is, you know, 35 bucks on the shelf or something like that, mm -hmm. um, which again for Burgundy, uh, a, a region notorious for being bad value, mm -hmm. um, you know, this wine ends up being like quite approachable. Um, that's the fun thing about this wine club too, is that all the wines are basically the same price. We've never really done that before, uh, where all these wines are within like a dollar of one another, I think. Uh, normally we kind of throw in like one special bottle, one that's like sort of in the middle, and then one that we think is like a really good value bottle. Um, but this month we, we just, I don't know, we we're just looking through the portfolio and we're like, I really want to do all these wines. And it just, we did the math on it and we're like, wow. This is like exactly our budget. Fantastic. Yeah, it's um, amazing. It's an amazing lineup. Yeah, it's, it's weird when that works out like that. Yeah. Um, I Just before this, I was uh, out with a couple friends um, just for like a, a quick, uh, you know, intermezzo cocktail. And uh, we were talking about Chardonnay like as a great variety mm -hmm. and sort of that everybody in the industry is like, nobody ever really like talks about drinking Chardonnay, but yeah. when you when you actually look at what we drink it's chardonnay mm -hmm. like if you're like oh it's a special night like maybe i'll open a special bottle and if you're thinking white it's probably chardonnay yeah. like it's like <laughs> chardonnay or it's maybe riesling but it's yeah. like you're not really drinking a lot of other things when you're like really excited about a white wine and so it's kind of one of those funny ones that i like even though it's one of the most famous grape varieties i don't think it gets enough credit it's no, kind of sad yeah. <laughs> yeah no i totally agree on it and i think it's like I don't know what happened of why Chardonnay has been bashed recently, mm -hmm. but it's just like, you know, there's Chardonnay and Champagne. Like Champagne is yeah. an amazing style of wine. Mm -hmm. Like Burgundy, amazing region for wine production. Mm -hmm. And there's like so many like little gems kind of around. And it's just like, once you kind of know the style of Chardonnay that you like, it's like really easy to like gauge where you should buy it from and yeah there's definitely a lot of special bottles in my small little wine fridge at home that mm -hmm. the white ones are chardonnay and it's just yeah. thinking about this right now it's like yeah my special bottles of wine are chardonnay so 
I fully agree with that statement. We don't yeah. talk about Chardonnay enough. Yeah, it's so strange. We always want to recommend like the cool grape varieties. So like, mm-hmm. oh, like cool, I got this like, you know, weird like Vermentino from somewhere. <laughs> like, oh, you got to try this Honda Zuri or like whatever it happens to be. Like you're excited about these weird grape varieties, but it comes down to it. Like we, we like drinking the classics. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons why Chardonnay is such a classic is because uh, the grape itself is actually quite neutral. It doesn't really taste like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of just tastes like apples and like flowers and maybe a little bit like lemon. And basically all of the nuance comes from the place um, in which it's grown. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's that really like transparent conductor of terroir, um, which is again like a really great reason to like a grape variety because mm-hmm. like muscat's great because it tastes really good mm-hmm. but like this is really great because it does something that muscat usually can't do which is like express a place and a time um in a very like specific detailed sort of way yeah and i'm a firm believer of you know things are classic for a reason and you know sometimes great totally. to go back to the classics because you understand why they are so highly regarded and yeah, to find obviously like white burgundy again. I'm just still shocked like that this is such a nice price point on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Like it's got so much character to it. So mm-hmm. definitely give Chardonnay another chance, especially with this this month's wine selection. Like if this gets your foot in the door for Chardonnay, just explore more because this mm-hmm. it's a it's a great grape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. All right. We'll move on to the red for this month. I think next month will probably be two reds and a white or something like that. We usually like to, you know, every once in a while, I like doing the two whites. Mm-hmm. I know we're in uh, in Alberta, so it's, uh, you know, it's definitely mm-hmm. red wine territory here. Yeah. But <laughs> I like challenging you guys with the, you know, the occasional double white wine month. It doesn't happen <laughs> that often, but when it does. Um so yeah, this is the second time we've been able to include a wine from Dormalona in the wine club. Um, at some point last year, probably almost a year ago actually, um, we used the Dormalona Blanco, which was um, uh, a semillon. Um, and then this is Dormalona's Tinto, which is made from Shiraz or Syrah, as it's uh, known outside of, I guess, Australia and South Africa. Um, so this is a project run by Josephine Perry, who's like probably one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Uh, she's an amazing surfer. Uh, she's an amazing mom. Uh, she has worked in Spain for like six years, apparently without, she moved there without even being able to speak Spanish, which is crazy. She worked for three years in uh, Beaujolais. She's worked in Barolo. She's worked in Australia. Um, I think she did her like first harvest when she was like 13 years old or something like that. Uh, she asked her grandfather what she should do for like, um, they, they get like in Australia, I guess they do like some sort of like work vacation or something like that, where it's like, in order to get you used to the idea of working and know what work is like, they just like send like 13 year old kids to work for like a month or something. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember that. I think I moved just before they had to do that, but yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this is a genius idea. Like you should make everybody work at McDonald's for a week so that they'd be nice to servers for the rest of their life. Oh my goodness. Uh, Yes. You know, I think that the working at McDonald's for a week is probably the most humbling experience that anybody could have. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Anyway, so she's super interesting for all those reasons, uh, but why this wine is really interesting is that it comes from Margaret River. 
Margaret River is in Western Australia, and I think a lot of Canadians are sort of as um, blind to the layout of Australia as the rest of the world is to the layout of Canada. Mm-hmm. Like when we say, hey, you're from Canada, like, oh, awesome, like, which part? Like, oh, from Calgary, like, awesome, is that near Toronto? Uh, you're like, no, it's like four hour flight away. It's the same thing with this. We'd be like, oh, cool. Like this is from Margaret River. And like, oh, is that near Sydney? Like, no, it's a four and a half hour flight away from Sydney. <laughs> yeah. It is so far away from like the place that you consider Australia. Um, so it's on the west, on the west coast of Australia. Uh, it's basically like a little, kind of like a little peninsula almost that's, that sort of juts out. Uh, and so it's surrounded almost on three sides by water. Um, which makes this one of the cooler regions in all of uh, Australia. And it's one of the most recently planted. So the adjacent area that's called uh, the Swan River Valley um, was basically the first region in all of Australia to be planted. Uh, we're talking like hundreds of years ago. And this is one of the most recent because it was only planted in like the 80s. And the reason it was planted was somebody basically just looked at the climate statistics for this particular region and was like, wow, this is literally Bordeaux. Like it, it, it is Bordeaux as far as the climate statistics say, we should plant cab here. And they planted cab there. And then within a couple of years, they were already making some of the best Cabernet Sauvignons in like the wow. entire world. And it was like purely just based on like analytic data. Um, and the fact that the area is beautiful and there's lots of nice rolling hills and things like that. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, this is like a completely different region than, than the rest of Australia. Um, and because of that, the wines tend to taste a little bit different than the wines from the rest of Australia. And then you factor in the fact that uh, she's making natural wines, so not making wines that are really heavily acidified in the case of Australia. Um, you end up with something that's like bright, bright, fresh, really intensely flavored. Um, and uh, always has like this sort of like eucalyptic characteristic. This area is just like completely surrounded by eucalyptus trees. Um, mm-hmm. So it's everything tends to be almost a little bit minty. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, when I first got into wine, I was very much kind of anti-Australia. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, the wines of Barossa, like during one period of time, were very extracted, very big, mm-hmm. very bold. And I, I'm not a huge fan of that style of... Um, red wine like I fully appreciate it it definitely has a place on the market but um I started to try some wines from Margaret River and um they definitely show like a very different style for the rest of Australia mm-hmm. and one thing with Dormalona we've carried them for quite some time and I feel across this line of their their wines the the white the orange the the rosé mm-hmm. and the tinto just like all show Kind of what you kind of want from them like they're fresh they're yeah. vibrant but they're also really fun as mm-hmm. well um and also yeah this one is just super aromatic like it's very like it's got a lot of like wild berries but it isn't like fruity like it's just yeah. you know that nice level where it's just like totally it's got that nice balance mm-hmm. and that's the thing that's like so great about syrah is that it always te- like for me it always feels like it has that balance of like almost this animal side, this mm-hmm. sort of like rogue side to Syrah, and then also like those really fruity components. And I feel like it has fruit characteristics that almost no other wines have, other yeah. than like Gamay, I guess, um, which is that sort of like black raspberry, like black cherry, um, really kind of like brambly characteristic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. It kind of reminds me, there's a drink in the UK, and I think it might actually be in Australia as well. It's called Ribena, and it's like a mm. juice concentrate totally. that you pour in yeah. water. <laughs> and it smells like that, which is like, you know, making me a little homesick. But it's <laughs> this is like the adult version for me. Like, it's totally. so lovely. And I love the packaging on these wines as well. Oh, yeah. I think that's one thing that I kind of like... I guess like I've seen like natural wines are really allowing kind of the younger generation of wine drinkers to kind of get involved. And, you know, you shouldn't always judge a book by its cover, but seeing labels like this, like entice people to like mm-hmm. buy something that's a little bit different. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason why they are like, they're some of the top selling kind of natural wines for us at the store because mm-hmm. the labels are like simple, but really cool in style yeah and they're also easy to drink wines and really approachable but also you know they have complexity to it and they have everything for everyone mm-hmm. in these bottles so yeah i was very excited when i saw that this was on the list yeah I was like, yes <laughs> amazing <laughs> totally yeah the the labels are really cool so like the whole story behind it is dormalona basically in spanish means lazy bones and um so joe when she was uh working in spain she would wake up like super early in the morning go for like a surf go for a run go for a bike ride whatever and then she would go work on the vineyard and so by the time that you know her spanish colleagues were having dinner which is like 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. because in spain everything's just sort of like pushed back a little bit uh she was like falling asleep at the table so everybody was always (laughs) like oh lazy bones always falling asleep at the table uh when really she had just been up like three hours longer than everybody else had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she kind of just like really liked that moniker uh, and it really represented her wine style in the sense that like the less you can do to the wine, the better. So she liked this idea of being like a lazy bones winemaker. Uh, she's definitely not lazy. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell from like how clean her wines are, like she's obviously like being super safe in the winery, uh, making sure there's no sort of rogue bacteria or anything like mm-hmm. that. So she's obviously doing an incredible job with that. But um, yeah, she's definitely like not into messing around with the, the wines, which is great. Amazing. It's kind of one thing that I love kind of about the premise behind natural wine and like agriculture. I don't know if you've read um, The One Straw Revolution, mm-hmm. but I love Masanobu Fukuoka when he was just like, I want to be able to farm so I can have a nap during the day. Like yeah. you're not living life until you have a nap. And it's just like... Yeah, that's kind of the aim of life. Totally, yeah. You can produce like anything that you want, but also have time for a nap during the day. So Mm -hmm. I kind of love that approach to wine, to agriculture, to life in general. It's just really enticing and just... Yeah, I kind of wish I was able to have a nap each day. That would be lovely. I've been doing some really like... uh, It's for some sort of post. I'm not sure what it's going to be used for, but I've been doing a lot of research lately because there, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of like meta studies released showing that uh, organics are not, are A, not better for the environment, B, mm-hmm. uh, not better for people to consume. They're no safer for people to consume um, and take a lot more work and a lot more land to produce and like all these sort of things. And so I've been sort of looking into those meta studies and being like, hey, but what was like the goal of what they were trying to do? Were they trying to produce like food for Mm -hmm. like consumption in like large quantities or were they trying to create something like wine that's like very specific um, and that is a luxury product and that, uh, you know, shouldn't be grown Mm -hmm. in vast tracts of lands and that sort of thing. And, you know, talking to some of the producers that 
that I'm dealing with, they're not getting lower yields than um, than other producers are who are farming with chemicals and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're getting the same yields, but it's because yields are so reduced for wine anyways. Um, and so it's interesting seeing how like these guys can live this totally different lifestyle than people making an equivalent product where it's like their whole life is on a tractor and spraying things and like mm-hmm. dealing with like chemicals and all this sort of thing versus the producers that we deal with make, you know, an equivalent product uh, for an equivalent price. But they're kind of just like hanging out with sheep a lot of the time <laughs> and, uh, you know, like inviting people over to like wander mm-hmm. through the vineyard. And yeah, it's a lot of hard work and, and you're doing a lot of things like that. But it seems almost more meditative than it does like like work. Like you're not creating a product. It's just that this thing that you like doing, you know, nurturing vines, taking care of the land just results in a product that people want and are willing to to pay you a living wage for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like that idea of, of the nap uh, as far as like the natural yeah. <laughs> wine world because I feel like natural wine world is very much a, a, a napping portion of the population yeah and you know (laughs) the fact that they produce these astonishing wines that sometimes i feel like show their like terroir their place of origin better than like other styles Mm -hmm. and yeah they're doing it in a meditative sense where they get to like like you said hang out with sheep all day like you wouldn't (laughs) want to do that yeah and um just from what i know about like agriculture side of things those people that like you were saying about organics like i was actually listening to a podcast yesterday saying how organics isn't actually better for Mm -hmm. anyone but a lot of people don't know that they can still spray certain chemicals Mm -hmm. within the organics like um certification stuff like that so it's like a very crazy thing to kind of think about and then you see people um like the people behind dormalona where they're you know having a great time they're working hard but they're also producing products that people are just raving about and like buying by the caseload Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that they're in debt trying to buy the next big equipment or like chemical to spray they're just like having a good time totally and doing what they love to do and it's resulting in such a great product as well which i think is important for everyone to to think about when you know buying wine and Mm -hmm. kind of putting the money in a place that you believe in which can be a little bit blinding in the wine industry so seeing like you guys where you're very transparent about the wines that you bring in it allows mm-hmm. people to kind of make the decision from them for themselves and it's you know at being able to host a podcast for your wine club and just kind of talking about it a little bit more is just like a great way to get people involved in kind of the right places that they want to be involved in mm-hmm. in wine because it can be very confusing for sure the best of times so yeah yeah, this is a great wine. Mm-hmm. I am fully enjoying this. Yeah, I'm having a hard time not chugging it. Like it is mm-hmm. it is actually so joyous. And mm-hmm. like so from like a a physical perspective, like it's it's a quite low alcohol. It's only twelve and a half percent alcohol. Um and then from like a tannin perspective, it's got very soft tannins. Mm-hmm. Like they're still there for sure, but mm-hmm. it's not got that like super mouth drying effect that some bigger Shirazes can have. Um, nor is it super glycerous, like that really sort of sweet, like almost cloying quality that some big Shiraz can tend to have. Mm-hmm. Like this is very much like a vein de soif. Like when I'm thirsty, I would not be, you know, I would, I maybe grab this. 
So yeah. it's like maybe the tiniest little bit of a chill on it. Yes, yes. You know, I think pretty versatile from a food perspective as well, like whether it be sort of like, you know, pizza pasta, like, you know, grilled meats, like mm. shawarma. Like I, I feel like it's got yeah. like a huge, <laughs> huge range uh, of sort of like applications versus I think regular Shiraz has actually zero applications yes. where it's the yes. actual best option. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why, but with the Dormalona wines, like we just uh, cracked a bottle of the orange last week, um, just because we have uh, mm. some new staff members at work and they haven't tried orange wine. And yeah. they were like, this looks really cool. So we're going to open it. And I don't know what it is about these wines, but I always like think of like a really fresh pizza mm. when I'm yeah. drinking them. And like, <laughs> that's what I want to have with this. Like, it's just, you know sophisticated and elegant but it's also fun and yeah you know you can play around with the pairings for mm-hmm. it so yeah these wines are great yeah I, definitely yeah yeah super <laughs> exciting uh cool well i think that's most of the things that we have to say do you have any closing remarks about the wine or anything you want to mention about the store or um, any particular wines you're excited about at the moment or anything like that oh um well all the new stuff that's coming in from you i know you had a few wines that have landed recently that are going to start slowly a few showing hundred. yeah yeah just yeah. casual few hundred um so i'm very excited to see those and uh we've started hosting like virtual wine tastings mm. again um so we're actually doing like a junk and juice tasting for halloween nice. which is sweet pretty fun because you know it's wine can be very um demanding and you know some people believe you can only pair the really elegant things with really elegant wines but there's also a space you know where people can play and have fun so mm-hmm. we're doing that and we're actually going to host a new year's eve champagne tasting oh, this year which because no one definitely. can really go out totally um and we're just having like a, we have quite a few exclusive champagnes that are mm. remarkable and they're just landing as well it seems totally. like everything's showing up yeah. this month um so very excited about that and if you haven't been to kensington wine market i would highly recommend stopping by we do have a few new staff members that are incredible so i'd highly nice. um highly recommend stopping by and seeing all the great wines we have from juice imports as well Totally. Yeah. And they honestly, like even beyond our own selection, like tons of really cool exclusives at Kensington. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not only that, but even from like other natural wine importers as well. Like they have a wicked selection from Garneau Block, for instance, who are always like, again, good buds of ours, Um, as well as like really good classics as well. Like I remember when you guys got that Bordeaux shipment in, that was the envy of the entire planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So, and then again, beyond that, this store is definitely world-renowned for uh, whiskey in general yes. and spirits in general, but specifically scotch. So if you're a huge scotch fan, you you can't not go. Like, it would, it would be absolutely ridiculous for you to not go visit them. Uh, yeah. And just ask. Like, that's the thing, too, is that you looking at the shelf, uh, you're not going to be able to, you know, the, the things that Andrew knows about scotch is just, like, it's, it's, yeah. it's far beyond... Uh, any sane person for sure so yeah definitely ask because they'll, yeah. they'll have secrets that uh they're, they're willing to share mm-hmm. and then i like to say because i'm british i have to bring this up my doctor who reference of the podcast it's very much like a tardis in kensington wine market you don't mm-hmm. expect to see how many products we do have yeah so whenever you come in if you feel overwhelmed don't worry we've all been there so just like come in say <laughs> hi we can like get you to where you need to go and we're always like excited to see people that are excited about everything that we have mm-hmm. so yeah totally cool well if anybody has any additional questions about any of the wines that isn't included in the um newsletter for this month feel free to send us 
you know, an Instagram message. We are at Juice Imports uh, or an email. My email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. Until then, we'll uh, talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your month. Thanks. Tristes, felizes, corações a...